righty. This is Pitcast. The date is Monday, December, <laughs> December. It's cold, but it's not that cold. Monday, October 17th. This is Matt Moss speaking, and I'm joined with Casey Grissom. Hey, Casey, how are you doing? That's me. I'm doing great. Excellent. Well, I It hasn't been that long since I've seen you. What, two weeks? Yeah, it has been two weeks. Um, we it, it felt like that time has flown by. Yeah, that felt like just a little nugget, a little pleasant nugget or interlude in time uh, in an otherwise uh, very accelerating daily life that I'm living right now. Um, that was a good weekend, though. So anyways, the, 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 what we're going to cover, the scope of this conversation will be covering the recent Legends of the Fall weekend, which was uh, old school tournament in Des Moines, Iowa, hosted by Taylor Quayle. Uh, we will cover that. And then I think, Casey, you know, if you're willing, how about we do a little bit of a breakdown on the recently wrapped up season one of uh, The Rings of Power? Willing, ready, and able. I am. I am juiced up to talk about that, man. Yeah, I've, I've done a couple of these uh, TV show convos with Cam, but I thought, you know, for, for Tolkien, I wanted to bring in a, a special ringer. Yeah, seeing Cam's reaction to the final episode just in real time in our little chat was great because he was like, oh, whoa, this is insane. And then as it keeps going, it's like, wait, that was it? And then I think he closed out and he enjoyed it. But yeah, you got to I'm I'm all in unabashed fan. I can't have any any middling opinions about this one here. Oh yeah, yeah. So so we'll we'll do the we'll do the legends first, and then we'll we'll take a short little break, and then we'll catch up with a little bit of or not catch up, and then we'll dive into the uh, rings of power. So, anyways, legends of the fall. This was a as I alluded to. This was an event in Des Moines hosted by Taylor Quayle. Um, it was how many players? Eighteen. Um, it I was think. either sixteen or eighteen. I can't recall. Yeah. So you know, a sub twenty, but close to twenty players. And I, I was I was amazed that they, you know, Taylor may, managed to drum up enough interest to find 18 old schoolers in Des Moines. You know, a, a, as you may remember, Casey, I being a native Iowan and, you know, f- six, seven years ago when I was looking for people to play uh, old school back then, I was just met with the thunderous sound of crickets. Yeah, I guess things uh, changed in that time. But also I was talking with some of the people there that um, – uh, that I played against and they had come in from, I think maybe Cedar Rapids or some other city, just not too far down the road. So it wasn't all from Des Moines, but it was, it was yeah. local. Yeah. CR is my hometown. Yeah. I was glad to see that turnout. And most everybody I played were, you know, pretty stand up guys until my last round opponent. Yeah. It was a cool event. Uh, I was, I, I forget the name of the brewery, but Q, uh, you know, had a, a, a upstairs space at a brewery. It was actually very reminiscent of that second bootleggers ball. Um, it, especially with it being hotter than it should have been. <laughs> the heat, did you notice the heat just getting like ratcheting up as the day went on? It, yes. And like the farther away from the windows you got, the hotter it got. And I think it was, I don't know if they were at, like actively running the brewery equipment or not, but like, Man, I was wearing a flannel and I was soaking it. Yeah, I don't remember like a lot of ambient noise other than just like dudes gaming, you know? 
it was real quiet. It was, it was nice and chill. I don't think we could have asked for a, I would say a more appropriate venue just because we had it to ourselves. It was the right size. And aside from the rickety tables, it was, it was pretty great. Yeah, somebody spilled a brew like right before round one. That table was just like abandoned. Oh, I think Cam spilled it actually. Well, I, I think it was it was us three that were at the table and at, in the process of getting onto the high top chairs, like the table shook a whole ton and the, yeah. the full beer came out down. It like a quarter of it just came out all around <laughs> and. And that's when we noticed the hive, the the hive of oh, somebody was making hive tokens. No, well, something was. There was a wasp nest next to the window, but I don't think those came into play. <laughs> Some control player. Um, but it was it was a great event. Um, the uh, atmosphere was good. I I I played five rounds of good magic. Um, so yeah. I. Time. Yeah, it was five rounds. It was just uh, kind of, it was plain Jane old school, uh, EC old school, uh, proxy legal. Was it full proxy legal or was it that 15 legal? If, or If it wasn't full proxy legal, then my 76 cards would have had me disqualified. Oh, yeah, that's right. Because you had a home homebrewed uh, custom print job pile. Yeah. I, I had a little flying anxiety. And so I, I brought a bunch of low cost stuff, but like I could probably replace my, my four Arabian nights, Ernam gins easier than my, like one of 10 Ernam gins with the gold border around them. So like proxies themselves have this weird, like scarcity to them too, that you kind of don't think about. That is to say, I played full proxy. It was fine. A lot of other people were playing proxy, but I sat across for, from some real old authentic cardboard and it was, I, I was pretty stoked to see it. I think of the four, four of the five you and I played and we'll, we can touch on that a little bit, but the other four folk I played um, were all new to me. So that was nice to meet some, some newcomers. Yeah. Um, v from Chicago first round, but all the three in the middle were new to me. Oh yeah, that's right. So yeah, shout out to Robert uh, Vincent who drove down from Sheboygan, battled, got in his car, and drove home. All in the same day too. Yeah, that, I think it was a full day. I think that's five to six hours each way, right? So I mean, that is that's a hell of a day right there. That's like fifteen plus hours. Although you know, that's a good segue because uh, I got I have to mention that uh, that event was run is a very tight ship. I think we, we did five rounds and prizes in under five hours. Yeah, it was, it, we were, it was lickety split. And, and even with uh, one player playing on uh tax edge, even his rounds were not going to time. I mean, I respect him because he, you know, knowing he's playing a, a grindy, dirtily deck, like he was on it. I, I am thankful I did not play him. However, <laughs> He, he seemed to be having fun and he was good at what he was doing. So yeah. he was my loss and game one, I got him down to two before he slammed a moat. And I had used, I had used one of my two or two or three disenchants on an ivory tower, like really early on. Hmm. And I just never got, I kind of flooded out at that point and never got another answer or a flying creature. 
I guess I haven't said what I was playing. I was on White Weenie with Crusades and Thunder Spirits, etc. Yeah. So you, how many Sarahs did you play? Zero. Oh, okay. I couldn't recall if you had a couple on the top end. So your four spirits eluded you. Yeah, I think he. I think he blew one up. I think he sourced one or something, and I just never got another one out. And then he stabilized with the moat, and then eventually he got up to like. I think via time twister, he got up to like four ivory tower and had some ridiculous amount of like 80 life before I quit. You know what? I don't think I quit that game. I didn't scoop that game because I wanted to see what was going to happen. Um, because I'm like, well, I can play a 50 minute, no finish game one and win and flips. That's true. That's but he, true. he ended up, he ended up getting there. It, it was close to like 35 plus minutes that he, before he got game one though. That's so um, yeah, and then game two, I just got annihilated and scooped like pretty, pretty handily. Um, but yes, I can't remember some of the other decks I played. Um, I completely did not prepare for this conversation, but uh, yeah, I was on the white weenie. Um, well, let's see, thinking about mine, maybe, maybe I can give you some time to to churn through the the, the depths. Um, my first round was against Robert Vincent. He was playing his really cool mono red candle flare deck and do you ever play against a deck that when you open up it's like oh this is a really cool deck i know i'm going to beat it and then you get surprised and it completely just like cuts your knees out from under you that's what robert did <laughs> that's like you just described every time i play cam right there <laughs> <laughs> yeah you battled at the house often and it yeah. was the most w's i've seen cam yeah that's that's a bit of foreshadowing um but uh yeah so he was on he was at what mono red he was on a mono red candle flare deck i don't remember his list um but it was it was real cool i know i got blown up by a uh by a, a dragon whelp once and then he had a candlestick out with two mazes and that is an insane board position against me. So <laughs> yeah. I was I was running rug burn, no counters, no main deck artifact anything. So I was just on like twelve burn spells, um, sixteen creatures, power draw sevens, hoping to go pretty fast. Um, so you were on the twelve burn innovation plan there. Yeah, twelve bolt innovator. Yeah. Uh, and then my. I don't remember if it was round two or not, but I played against a guy that was on kind of a shops control build and he had a Taunus coffin. Um, I wound up beating him, but he put, he did put an urn in, in, in coffin once in the attack step. And I was like, oh crap, <laughs> I forgot it did that. Um, Cause I've only ever seen people put trikes in them or Rasputin's in Cam's case. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty, if he's got enough mana, it's a cool trick. I, I've tried playing with Tanos like in a blue shops type build, and I just found it was too mana hungry, right? Like when, yeah. when, you, when you have four lands that can only cast artifacts, activating mm -hmm. all these ICs and, and coffins, et cetera, really ties up your mana base to be able to like forward your board position by, you know, putting other shit into play, casting other spells. Right. And he was more kind of control based than a big artifacts shop creature base, but wound up getting past him. Third round I played uh I played the mono black player. Um 
you know, mono black's kind of tough for rug anyway, especially like, cause I got hemmed out one game and then mind twisted, I think turn one, mind twist turn one followed up by a him. And I was like, well, I, I've, I've lost that game, but I came back uh, games two and three against them because I had three whirling dervishes in the board and they went the distance for me. And I am a big fan of whirling dervish now. Yeah. That's, that's the rare uh, uh, instance there where like a very targeted sideboard card just does the thing. Right. Um, I truly cannot remember who I played fourth round. No, I played a guy on, is it burn? There's not a question mark <laughs> on the end of that. It was the, it was is guy, it burn? Is it burn? It was a, uh, some, some legacy grinder from a card shop nearby or whatever, but, uh, he was, he was playing blue, red burn and he didn't look like he was having any fun and he was pretty quiet. I mean, I'm glad that he came out and, and got to taste the, taste the scene, but I have been in his chair. First bootleggers ball, I played blue, red burn. And I was like, uh, that was a so-so experience. Yeah. I just don't like that deck. Not, not, not in the way that I like, don't like land still in middle school. It's just one of those decks that I just, it, it's not what I want to play. Blue, red gabos would be sick, but yeah. just blue, red counter spells and burn is pretty pedestrian. Right. I, let's see. I played you last round. I don't know if you caught my dig earlier, but was that, was that the last round? Yeah. Okay. Um, we can go into that if you want, but like the winner of the event was Noah and he was on goblins. So yeah. he, he was representing the gobos pretty well. I think he was the only one to five Oh on the day, right? Yeah. He was XO. That's right. Was it uh it was not mono red, right? It was blue red or, or, or was it Grixis? I can't remember if he had power or not. I did not play against him, but yeah, I, it, it, it makes sense for it to have power. I would, I would assume. Yeah. Yeah. That's two events I've been at where Gabos took it down in like very convincing fashion this summer. The other being that uh, COVID con up in <laughs> Milwaukee. Right. Oh uh, yeah. Let's dig into our battle. What was that round five? So, so white, white weenie versus rug. You won game one, right? I believe I took game one. Um, and I don't remember a whole lot that happened, but I remember being very afraid of um, crusades. I didn't even think about bottle. And I, I game two sided in a couple of my shatters. And then I don't think I saw bottle, but then we were talking between game two and three and I was sideboarding again. And I think you said, I, I'm I, like, I asked like, how many artifacts do you even run in here? Cause we were talking about, I shattered a factory, I think. Yeah, no, 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 no. I don't, I didn't play factory in that list. What did I shatter? It had to have been a mox. Cause my only artifacts, well, were mo uh, Pearl, Sapphire, Orb, and then city in the bottle out of the side. Right. So I took my shatters out, not thinking that you were on city in the bottle, even though I had seen your deck list prior. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and sided them out. And then you played the bottle. And we just had a good laugh over that <laughs> unintentional angle. <laughs> yeah, man, I don't even have very many artifacts in this list. 
top deck and top deck sitting in bottle. And you were about to crush me in that game three because you went turn one, Tiger eight, turn two, eight, I think, or Pixie, and then turn three, dip. So you had curved out beautifully. Oh, it was it was exactly what I wanted to do. And then the bottle came down. Yeah. And I think it was over. City brass in there too. So I got yeah. hung up on mana. And yeah, they, it was a four uh, for one. Right. And you put out, and, and I had a city in, in my hands that I couldn't play. And then you put out uh, an Ication Javelinier, and that was able to deal with the Pixies. And then you just, you just turned it around. Yeah. Good old white weenie. Yeah, my list was, you know, it was pretty standard. It was, uh, well, you know what, excuse me, the one non-standard guy that I ran, and I've, I've tried this at a couple events now and enjoyed it, was uh, uh, Repentant Blacksmith in place of White Knight. I don't think I ever saw that against you. I don't think so. If, if, if you did, he wasn't like, uh, you know, the game didn't turn on him. Right. Repent, repentant blacksmith is uh, an Arabian's dude. One, two protection from red, and I think I cited out Casey. I think I cited out two blacksmith for two city in a bottle against you. Well, so that- I I just remembered. I think game one, I did see a repentant blacksmith, and I was afraid of it, and so I used a side blast on it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> It feels really bad putting four damage onto a one toughness guy, but sometimes youth—that's your only choice. Well, he's two toughness. He's one two. Oh, excuse me. Yeah. So it's only half as bad as I thought. <laughs> it's only half as bad, yeah. But uh, he's a house, so I—I'm I, starting to remember things are clicking back in the place of the days gaming. So I played against an Atog list. I think it was Grixis. Um, it was either blue, red, or Grixis. <clears throat> excuse me, and. Um, you know, he had a tog out and some uh, artifacts and I just slammed down um, blacksmith and he's done. He is, you know, yeah. it's just done. You can't attack. He can't attack anymore, you know, and eventually I was able to just use um, disenchants and shit to whittle away his board position. And then I just be, you know, uh, blowing up an artifact here, something else there. And, um, and then I was able to just, you know, attack profitably he did a thing which I've run into this in the past playing Atog as well. You, you, he was behind on mana because I think I'd stripped him and blown up a mox, and then he played the Ankh anyways. And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, well, I'm just gonna sit, you know, and lean on him here because you know I've got more mana, and I don't even need a lot of mana to run White Weenie three. You know, I curve out at three. Yeah, you run on two mana basically, don't you? Well, I've got Thunder Spirits and Preachers in the three slot, but yeah, yeah I mean it's. It's it, most of the deck runs off two mana, right? And so I then I I think I subsequently you know took the two from the Ankh to play a strip mine, blow them up, and it was just you know game blouses from there. But yeah. um, bottom line is the blacksmith is a tank. I think he's better than the uh, white knight because you're you're diver, you know diversifying there with the pro red, and also just with all the burn, you know burn and atog and whatnot. It really positions you pretty well there. So. Right. And your deck also capitalizes well on the use of Crusade because Javelineer is becoming a 2-2 or a 3-3 after they've yeah. is really cool. And then having your Blacksmith grow is even better. Thunder Spirit. Yeah. Same with two Crusades on the board. Like, 
I played against another guy that was on a, a dibs good stuff list. I don't I don't know the exact color combo. I hate to say it, but I kind of just ran over him quickly. But like he slammed a dib and I got to a four four first strike thundering uh thunder spirit. And that's yeah. it. I mean, that's just a build your own badass Sarah Angel right there. <laughs> um, selling my my Thunder Spirits way back, but I just I don't know. You 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 you've given them a good showing. Um, I also don't have sweet looking crusades. Yeah, I mean, I've had I've had plenty of games though, plenty of matches where they're just a tud. You know, like if your opponent has. I don't even know what else, but like it, they were pretty, the Thunder Spirit had a good day that day, but there's been plenty of days where like I'm citing them out automatically. Yeah. Um, prize support was sick at that event. Um, Taylor did a terrific job getting all kinds of cool stuff. I brought home a, a metal Magic the Gathering sign. Yeah. Um, I have my U.S. Patent Office, uh, Dr. Richard Channing Garfield uh, patent for the the magic card frame and layout poster. <laughs> is that just did he just print that on like an inkjet or what is that thing? No, it's on it's on like real cardstock. I mean I think you can I think there are like Etsy places that do this with almost everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've seen I've seen patent papers in like uh like an antique store with like the Millennium Falcon on it. So like it's it's whatever. I, but I, I like that. I, I came away with a coffee mug. Um, I think Quail put in the movie poster for Legends of the Fall and then yeah. back out after everyone signed it. So yeah. that was. Yeah. So the, the price support was excellent. Yes. Um, you know, just a great, a great afternoon of gaming. I mean, it's it, that whole weekend was such a blur that it's like the actual tournament was like this blip within a blur, you know. Oh, um, do you want to talk about like our our saga of of the entire weekend, or or do you? Yeah, want to we can. We, yeah, we can cover that a little bit. I mean, some of that, some of that is just like how much inside jokery do you want to do on a podcast? But um, sure. I will say that I will say that the 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 house was a was a barrel of laughs. I played basically magic nonstop. I played hundred. I'm not even kidding. It was all. It felt like hundreds of games. <laughs> So to step back and talk about it from like a higher level, I I really think that now that we're past COVID, you know, in quotations and <laughs> with several asterisks. Mission accomplished. Yeah, right. Now that we're on the other side of it and there seem to be fewer large events nationally, but a larger number of smaller regional events that you can get together with 16, 20, maybe 30 people, that becoming more frequent, I think, is the future of old school for a lot of people because people can then rent an Airbnb house with like four bedrooms and 10 beds or whatever and just have that be the party house for the weekend. And the main event on you know Saturday afternoon or wherever is the blip it's why you're in town but you're making the most of it by having this extra scene around it and and that like the like you guys do lord's house uh we kind of picked up that ball and ran with it uh late in the summer where we went to chattanooga and and did a house event down there with like 16 people and our house at legends was 
suitably legendary. Uh, we had people cycling in and out and we played games, you know, the entire time did orbit yeah. flips. Yeah. Like that, that I think is, is how a lot of people should be kind of focusing their like magic travel on, because I think it's the experience that you make for yourself that can wind up being most successful. If you're relying on the people that are putting on the event to be your whole weekend, then there's some like maybe your expectations can can let you down in that case. So if you're in charge of your experience, you can make it what you want to be. Yeah, you should be responsible for having for 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 having a you know making your own good time. Um, and and it, it helps you know obviously this whole thing is predicated on the fact that we've been battling together for years and years and years. And so there's like a reunion element of sorts here, right? I mean, it, with these types of events, and, and now to kind of add on to your point here, when, when you get away from the public events, it's maybe a little bit harder to break into the scene or, you know, break into the hobby. Um, but it's not impossible. I mean, again, we just had 17 people battling in, in Des Moines of all places, you know. Right. And like our little group, uh, me, you, Cam, Quail, and Nick, we met essentially online in a chat over COVID. And so that was that like the Legends House was exactly our uh first meeting time. And I think people can meet on like a Discord somewhere or on Facebook and then make that make that reunion weekend happen. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Turning something from the digital space into a real weekend extravaganza. Yeah. yeah that The house was, it, it was a good, it was a good deal. Um, it goes to show you that, you know, the emphasis on like having a good weekend is the people, right? It's like, you know, you take an event like a Lord's house, it's very, um, or, or chalice or some of these other like uh, destination type events, you know, there's a lot of structure to it. Like, whereas at Legends, there was like very little structure other than Cam rented Airbnb and we had an address to show up to, right? There, everything else was like ad hoc, made up on the fly. And yet it was an absolute blast the whole time. You know, my, yeah, my abs were just like shredded by the end of it from just hooting we and hollering and laughing all weekend. Oh man. Um, and then let's see. Had a couple of people in for the event come by the house. We had um, a couple of Quails buddies from there in town come by the house. And yeah. we, got, we got a lot of mileage out of, out of those visitors. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, uh, you know, we got to go into the orb flip. So, you know, uh, most people will know that at Lord's house, I, I successfully ended my years-long drought of not having the orb patch. And um, Taylor Quail also got his at Lord's house. So uh, we decided we were going to bring a couple patches uh, to see, you know, who was going to test their metal and, and and pass the challenge at the Legends event at the house. And uh, so I, I met up with Shane before leaving town, got a couple patches, brought three patches. My expectation was that, you know, our housemates, yourself, uh, Nick, and and uh, and one other individual would all probably successfully uh you know meet the challenge right you'd have a couple of opportunities given friday and saturday if you needed a backup opportunity so we we set up uh we, we get set up who who went first 
I believe it was Nick that went first. Also, you mentioned almost forgetting the patches on the way out of Chicago. Oh yeah, right. So we're we're leaving town. Yeah, Cam picked me up in the in the in the van, the van. Um, <laughs> we're we're leaving town, or no, we hadn't left town yet. We were actually going to pick up Nick at the train station, and then I'm like, oh shit, you know, Casey, you had mentioned something that triggered my memory. My, you know, I'm like, oh shit, Cam, I left those in the glove compartment of my car, so we had to turn around, and come back. That ended up not being a big deal because Nick was like two hours late and got lost down at Union Station. Um, <laughs> couldn't find his way off Amtrak. Yeah, but, Nick, uh, Nick went first, did three shots of Malort. Yeah. And I, think he, I don't remember if he wound up finishing with some shots remaining or if he used them all. I, I think he missed one or so. But yeah, he didn't He didn't 50 for 50, I don't believe. Um, but he got it done. You know, there was much rejoicing. Um, Casey, you, you, yours was a ballsy bet. You anteed up one Malort and, and you went 50 for 50. I did. I, I, I decided that I didn't really want to drink a whole ton and knowing that I don't really ever drink liquor or even whatever you might describe Malort as I just want liquor. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so I wanted the one because you get the extra flip too. So I was like, I can do this in two. But I also went in cold. I hadn't practiced any. Yeah. So I was running off theory. Um, and I had I had a, a foot tall, like uh, a playmat case that had a sticker on it. So I was flipping off of that. I was making sure I got my form right. Once I got jumpy and jittery, I stepped back and I was like, yeah. okay, got to take That's a deep breath resettle and that's, i went yeah. yeah that's the ticket right there and i know the last person that i know of to do that was uh derek from nashville and then you said a couple people in chicago had done that too so yeah i don't yeah, know that, total but it, that, it's as if i'm in i'm in a, a small group um uh, yeah the, the 50 50 for 50 it's probably about a half dozen at this point but it is a pretty small cadre of people um, and like you said, stepping back and like remeasuring, that's that's how I got over the hill because like for me, I would just keep accelerating, right? You're you're you get going, you get the momentum, you get that energy going. And then the faster you go, the more likely you are to to botch something. Um so yeah, just having something to measure your a foot each time, uh like a like a playmat case with a with a drawing on it or something or a mark on it or whatever, I think that helps a lot. It did for me. Um say my cheapo zoom is telling me I have to log out. So let me, let's put a pin in this. And we'll, we'll finish the, the chaos orb saga after it says we got four minutes, 20 seconds left. Oh, that's perfect. That's a perfect segue. Okay, so this is part two of the pit cast, and we are picking up with the saga of the Chaos Orb Flip Challenge at the Airbnb house 
at Legends of the Fall, Des Moines, Iowa. Um, okay, so we had established here, Casey, that uh, you had gone 50 for 50 joining that hyper elite club. Uh, Nick had gotten his, missing a couple, but still doing a really good job. I think he bet three to miss four and maybe missed one or two. So had a really good showing. Yep. Um, and I don't know that we're necessarily telling these in the order that they happen, but we're telling them in the order that it's the best order to tell them in. This is the uh, most order. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the last but not least is uh, Mr. Cam Wall. Cam was already feeling very tuned up on the evening. Um, <laughs> and he was all riled up. Do you remember what music he wanted? No, I don't. But I, I remember that I selected Steely Dan. And I think that that uh, uh, got me to victory. Hell yeah. No, all, all things Steely. Absolutely. Um, no, I don't remember what Cam picked. There's some butt rock that we listen to. <laughs> Probably butt rock, yes. Uh, so Cam jamming out on some butt rock. Um, and, you know, he just, bless his heart, he he had, he what, bet three to miss four? That's right. And, you know, and I can rip on him having failed like five or six times, you know. So um, it's, uh, you know, I've, I've earned, I've paid my dues. So I enjoy, you know, I enjoy watching people uh, succeed. But, yeah. uh, you know, if somebody misses, I'm still going to let them have it because I was ruthlessly taunted for literally years until and I got mine done. I can't I can't even console people because it, I just made it look easy. <laughs> Sick brag, dude. <laughs> so Cam shits the bed and like his last couple, he started out, he was doing good, right? He was like 20 to 20 or something to open up. And yeah, I think his first miss was in the low 20s. Yeah. Boy, and boy, and the 30 and missed another one. And and I think he just got kind of shaky. Yeah, man. He just went way off the rails. His last miss was like not even close. I mean, it was inches away from the orb or oh. the, the orb was inches away from the target. I think he was going after a swords to plowshares too, <laughs> which doesn't even make sense, you know, but that's a total cam play to try to orb an instant speed. You orb your uh, most hated target. Yeah. Oh man, poor Cam. So yeah, uh, and, and then uh, one of one of uh, you know, as you had alluded to in part one of this Odyssey, uh, uh, Quail had invited a couple friends to come over and hang with us, and so one of them, uh, Tim, was like, "Hey, you know, we're like, hey, Tim, give us a shot, you know, or or you know what? Sorry, let me back up. Let me add a, a, a let me add just a little nugget here to the story. I'm like, you know, Cam, don't worry about it, dude. Just try again tomorrow, right? This was Friday night. Everybody was getting tuned up." Brought three patches, one for the each of us. Yeah, to try. So I'm like, Cam, don't even worry about it, dude. We'll get you tomorrow. We'll we'll get you a breakfast tomorrow, right? So then then Q is like, hey, Artie, hey Tim, you guys should try this. And I'm like, oh man, all right, well, you know, whatever. These guys probably, you know, they're not going to make it anyways, right? Well, yeah, but but to even go back before then, like we were going to do the flipping, and we had the Malord out. And I don't remember who offered it, but I think Tim, Tim and Artie were like, oh, what does this taste like? And we were describing it and it's horrible. <laughs> whatever. And, and Tim takes some big old shot of it. And Tim's like, you know, that's not bad. And so when Quail encouraged Tim to try it, like Tim and Artie to try it, Artie, Artie did it. And he, I don't think he wound up getting very far, but Tim was like, yeah, I'll give it a shot. Sure. Because he wanted more Malort. 
Right. And so Tim, you know, and, and you know, Tim, I, I played him at Eternal Weekend in 2018. He's a nice dude, stand-up dude. He does not look like your prototypical grungy, old school, hard drinking type guy, right? Which, you know, I don't know him that well, so I'm not sure what he does at home, but you just he, basing basing the book by its cover, you yeah. know what I mean? He looked so, like a regular ass dude. Just a dude in off the street. And then, you know, I'm like, Cam, don't worry. We'll let you try for your patch tomorrow. Q's like, hey, Tim, come on in here, dude. You should try for your patch. All right. I'm thinking, you know, I only got three, but Q, it's Q's town, his rules, I guess. Uh, so, so so we, Tim, I think bet three to miss four again. Yeah. And he misses like his, you know, he's got a weird like, kung fu grip on the card and he's doing like this one handed, like, it's almost like a split finger fastball. I forgot about that. Yeah, it was. He had, so, <laughs> he had, he had his, his, the seams of the orb were between the, the fingers. Yes. It was like a four, was a, a four, a four seamer fastball. Subtext. Flick involved. Yeah, it was it was odd, man. And and as a subtext, I'd forgotten about this, but Tim and I again, we played it Eternal Weekend in eighteen, and he and I went to Chaos Orb flips on our round, Ooh. and I ended up beating him in that round. But I remember back then even thinking his flip was a little bit odd. So I'm thinking, ah, there's no, there's no, there's no way that he's gonna get it. I've got three patches. Cam will get his shot tomorrow. Tim misses his third. You know, he he hits two, and he misses. I think. He gets three in a row, and then he misses his first one, all right? So he's he's three flips in. He's already missed one. I'm like, all right, no sweat. Yeah. Dramatic pause. And then Tim goes on to hit 47 in a row, <laughs> and the crowd is going wild. And Cam, Cam is, like, absolutely distraught, like, genuinely distraught because – Tim came in, this dude off the street came in and sniped him. Cam has been hyped up for this weekend in this house of this tournament and getting the orb patch and everything for months. And dude on the street comes in and just shanghais him and steals the patch out from under him. Now, that's not technically true because Cam had the first opportunity and, and fucked up royally. And Tim came in and, and saved the day and took, down, took him down. Oh, my God. I I'm really I'm actually really glad uh, that uh, honestly that I did it at the time that I did because I had I had always felt like the chaos orb patch was one of these things that's like well that's not I don't I don't know if it's for me I don't know if it's it's something that that is is part of my oeuvre you know um, but doing it it's like it's an accomplishment it is it is something that is. Uh, it has magnitude to it. And I'm saying this in part because I know Cam's going to listen to this and just be <laughs> further distraught that we're bringing up his failings again. Oh, yeah. His, his blood pressure is rising. And and the other thing that's funny about Tim is after he won, I tried to do like a lore download for him, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. And Tim, just to kind of make him understand what this means to people like us. Yeah. And he's like, all right, sweet. <laughs> Yeah, sweet. All right, cool. Uh, let's let's go on to the next game or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It was oh poor Cam, and we did not stop letting him have it until he got on his plane. No, I mean, are you kidding me? I failed five or six times for years. I'm gonna let I'm gonna roast Cam for as long as I possibly can about this. Did Cam try at Lord's house? I don't think so. Okay. No, 
I'm almost certain he didn't because I would remember that because I would have been down there hollering at him if he had. <laughs> well, I uh, I then I then remember Cam's words after he after Legends Weekend was he's not going to attempt it again until all five of us are back together in the same place. <laughs> well, good luck. He may never get it then. Yeah, that might not. That, because that, that lead that weekend was lightning in a bottle. I mean, maybe it'll happen again, but I don't know, man. It was the our weekend was the best thing about Des Moines that Des Moines has ever experienced. <laughs> okay. Um, any other final thoughts on the uh, legends or on me beating you down with White Weenie or on Cam royally screwing himself over on his orb or <laughs> the the van in general? Maybe just a couple. Um, it was it was a good event. Quail Quail did a stand up job. Um, it was a pleasure. Um, playing against you on white weenie, you know, we had done that before. I think we ran some pickup games after last year's fall brawl and, and we, yeah, I, I remember that now. It was a 95 event, but like, you know, I mean, that, Not that different, Not that different though. No, it's pretty classic. Uh, but no, the van was great. I mean, I highly recommend road tripping to an event with your buddies because, Part of, and and maybe this is what segues us into the Lord of the Rings, the point of the journey is not to arrive. Yeah, well done. Well done. (laughs) Um, Okay, Rings of Power time. So spoiler warning, we're going to go like full, you know, full spoilers. And in in your case, Casey, you you could even go with book spoilers too, just because I know there's a lot of book lore tied in with this. Um, Okay, so the setup is that um this is a i don't even know prequel is prequel even the right word to use for to call it a prequel of lord of the rings it's so far in the past i don't i don't think that it's unreasonable because the setup there is that it is the story of how the rings of power came to be including the one so yeah yeah it's it's a prequel sure um and let's see how many episodes did it end up being eight uh, yeah, seven or eight. It started out, I thought, pretty slowly. Episode one felt very much like a data dump, data dump. You know, they were just kind of getting you up to speed on everybody and like, oh, here's here's Gladriel, and she's not the wizard. You remember her? She's actually a you know a young elf woman that's more of a fighter and uh, you know commander of this elite group of dudes, and she's out hunting down Sauron, and she's pissed because Sauron killed her brother and. Yeah. And all this other stuff. So they're, they're kind of reintroducing her and Elrond from the movies as diff- like very, in, in Gladriel's case, very different version of her. And Elrond, he, he played more like the Hugo Weaving version from the movies, I thought. Yeah. So where this takes, or when this takes place, I guess, is, is it's important to know to kind of have the underlying understanding that these are different characters, even though they are the same people. So this took the Rings of Power takes place. They don't really say it, but it takes place in the Second Age. And the Second Age, I think, is like 3,500 years long before the Third Age begins. I can actually see if I can figure this out. But um, they're like 1,500 years into the Second Age at this point. Gladriel's like 2,000 years old, even though she's a young elf woman. And there's still probably, you know, 2,500 years to go or maybe even more than that, but like there are millennia to go before we get to 
the uh, Fellowship of the Rings. Right. And that's why I almost hesitated to call it a prequel, right? Because it's so far in the in the past. I mean, granted, you know, they are setting up the rings, right, from Lord of the Rings, but it's <laughs> like, you know, like the, the nations all have different names and like the, the the hobbits aren't even in the Shire yet. They're the they're the Harfoots. Or you know what? I I, I guess I brought in my own presupposition there that the Harfoots become the Shire. Um, I think a lot of people would have would have made that assumption just because that's like, oh, it's little people that go yeah. around. They're a little more primitive now, but like it's never stated where they right. are until later in the episodes and we get like the maps, which I'll say a little bit about the Harfoots. I rewatched um the beginning of episode five, I think it was, where uh Poppy, uh the one uh like the the friend of the main Harfoot. Nori. Yeah, she Poppy sings the the wandering song. And that one hit me like a brick. So I think the Harfoots are maybe the heart and soul of, of the series, just like the Hobbits were in Tolkien's original Lord of the Rings. But that song, that tune and the lyrics were picture perfect. And if anyone maybe had been feeling a lack of, I'll call it magic, of Tolkien up until that point, that was when that was when it hit. And I, I I felt the magic from like minute one of episode one, but hearing that song at the beginning of that episode literally brought me to tears. And especially at the point where the lyric goes, not all those who wander are lost. Yeah, that's a good line in it. That is a callback to a song that uh, Gandalf quotes in the Fellowship of the Rings, which refers to Aragorn. So that makes the world even deeper and more meaningful in that there is this generational millennia of uh, like history of oral tradition in the Harfoots that Gandalf picks up or in the Hobbits that Gandalf picks up to refer to that. So, I mean, the way that they have woven everything into like everything in the show into the larger Tolkien universe, I think is supremely well done. Yeah, there's a detail in, that I picked up on where it's like it's so far in the past that like human civilization just looks more primitive. And that's really cool because like in fantasy literature, it's just always kind of like everything is basically pseudo medieval. And yeah. right. Or it's like, you know, in Star Wars, for example, you know, you have these civilizations that are thousands of years ago and are thousands of years old. And yet, you know, it does, there's not as much change between eras where it's like. You know the 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 south the men of the Southlands, which will later on become Mordor. You know they have a town, and it looks more like early medieval versus like say a Bree, right? Or Osgiliath, right? Uh, or wait a minute, uh, uh, um, what's the one? Not Osgiliath. What's the the city built into the mountainside? Minas Tirith. Minas Tirith. Thank you. Thank you for the name checking there. But uh, like those, and those are very stylized anyways, but they look more modern as the point I'm trying to make. Like you can tell thousands of years have gone by and the style has changed, the technology's upgraded. And I just thought that was a cool detail. Right. And so the third age kind of ushers in, well, actually the fourth age ushers in the time of man. And the second age and third age are the time of the elves. And so that's 
that really does underscore that men are just like hanging around and just part of the world and not necessarily any of the power brokers there. Right. They're, they're, they're like almost like bronze age. Right. I mean, they have like, you know, they have metalworking and stuff, but they are very, you know, they're more like human civilization from say, like, you know, some maybe like a thousand BC or something. Yeah, probably, probably something like that. And I'm what, you know, I'm pulling out actual dates of Tolkien's second age and third age for when whoever was born and whatever happened. I'm actually not that great at ancient world history. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But the human story, I think I, you know, in the Southlands, I think that's pretty cool. I I really enjoyed that seeing what Mordor was before it became Mordor. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, the Bronwyn and Arondir uh, romance, I don't think has really gotten off the ground. So, I mean, I think they said that they're going to make like five seasons of this. And so there's plenty of ground to cover. But that wasn't one of the like main heavy hitting, no. like emotional uh, stories and character stories for me. I, it has lots of, of meaning plot wise and it moves yeah. stories. But yeah, it, it felt a little bit. Uh, I, I just don't think those two had necessarily the best chemistry for me. Um, I liked Aaron Aaron Deer quite a bit, he was, but he he felt very much just like action hero moving the the plot forward versus like having a very heavy, um, you know, emotional weight to the adding a um, an emotional heaviness or weight to the story. Right, and they've set him up as like, oh, you know, there's been like two elf human relationships in the past and they've both ended in death and so we've got some stakes for the future and we've got set up for conflict in the future and whatever but that you know wasn't fully you know it didn't come to come to a fulfillment at the end of this first season yeah there's a lot more story to be told there and i want to transition into talking about one of the big surprises for me sure the delving into the lore and the the expansion of dwarvish culture. And oh history. yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. I know you're jazzed to talk yeah. about this. No, that's what? my favorite. That's my favorite part of the whole show. Was anything anything with the dwarves? Yeah. Um, the actor and actress that are playing um, Prince Durin and Queen Disa or Prin- Princess Disa are phenomenal. Absolutely incredible. Um, they've got, especially Durin has rage and he has comedy and mis- mischievousness yeah. all in one. He is an incredible actor. And, in the- and vulnerability too. Yes. I did not expect that they would have made Elrond into a, like a, a really close ally and friend of the dwarves. But how they have done that in this show has made like that. That is the story that has really grabbed me the most. Absolutely. Man, they have just done so well with that. Um, I really love Elrond and and Durin's relationship, especially when like Elrond has Durin over for dinner. (laughs) And and Durin is like, where did you get the table? And and it it he just makes shit up. It was yeah. awesome. And he 
and, and Elrond calls him out on it, and you just see that sly little side eye. Yeah. From, oh, that was so well done. I loved it. So, so what I loved particularly about um, Durin and the Elrond, Elrond and Durin storyline, and this ties in with just the overall portrayal of the dwarves, is they got. I mean, there's plenty of the stereotypical dwarven stuff in there, right? You know, they live in a mountain, they dig, they are miners and smiths. They've got Scottish adjacent accents. They've got beards, right? All this, the usual fantasy tropes, but they actually let the characters like move beyond just those tropes. Like where, again, where Durin is saying, hey, Elrond, you know, you haven't been here in 20 years. You know, you're supposed to be my best friend. And Elrond's like, yeah, well, that's not long to an elf. And and Durin's like, well, that's a long time for a dwarf. I've had two kids since then, right? And so he's genuinely hurt that yeah. his friend hasn't checked in on him. Or when Durin is, uh, you know, talking to his dad, the dwarf king, I forget his name. What's his name? It is also Durin. Oh, so it's like Durin the X, right? Yeah. In, are you, okay, excuse me. That, king Durin, Prince Durin. That gets that, a little confusing. That is a departure from, from the dwarven lineage in, in Tolkien. Um, the, I don't know a whole ton about it, but the name Durin is, is bestowed upon, uh, dwarves that are supposedly, uh, mimicking the characteristics of the original dwarven king named Durin. So kind of like a, a, uh, uh, I forget the name, uh, a reincarnation aspect to it, but like, I don't think that deviation really harms anything at all. I think the lore nerds are maybe a little bent out of shape about it, but man, they're doing it so well. Yeah. Well, the, the, the father is another great. Right. And and the, and the point is like, you know, Durin, the prince arguing with Durin, the king over ser several different things, but like, you know, it was like an argument any, any son could have with his father. Right. And, and it just happened to be happening between these dwarves and it just added so much um, for me, it was just such a character. Yeah. It, it, right. It, it gave so much humanity to the dwarves, right? Like, and, and, and often in fantasy settings, you know, dwarves or, or elves are, are cast as demi-human, like, mm -hmm. you know, half human, they're, they're half man, half something else. Right. And, it, and it gave the, the, in this instance, it gave the dwarves a humanity that is usually reserved only for the elves or the elves and men. Right. And it, it brought them up to that level of like top tier races in middle earth. For I me. Agree. Yeah. So one of the, one of the things about this show is they have the rights to all of Lord of the Rings and all of the appendices of Lord of the Rings. And the appendices is where it's called, I think number appendix B is the tale of years, which is the timeline of like how things happen and when they happen. And then there's a, appendix about the lineage of the kings of Numenor and kings of men and they have one on dwarves as well and that is one I had not gone into um, but you can really tell that even if it's just a list of names and a so-and-so begat so-and-so that Tolkien wrote that there is so much room to be creative and tell these really good stories and I think they've they, I, I think the writers are a bunch of Tolkien nerds and they have, oh, yeah, and they and, have done a great job. 
and 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 the dwarven king Durin, you know, it, at first I'm just like, man, why this guy's just being a stick in the mud. He won't let Prince Durin dig down there, right? Oh, then it turns out old King Durin, he knows what's in that mine. And he knows like he's not just being a hard ass and a yeah. traditionalist. He knows if they go down there, they're gonna dig up something big and evil. And I wonder if if and, and this question is actually one that I think the show does really well because there's not a definite answer yet. It is, does he know or is he just a very conservative ruler in, in or how? He's, or he's superstitious. Yeah, or is he superstitious? Either way, he's right. He's either, yes, he's right accidentally or on purpose. Yeah. But man, that little flash of, of belief <laughs> falling down into yeah. the crevice through all the mithril veins landing in front of this pile of shadow and then <laughs> comes out of it and like swoops away. Oh man, that was a great, and that wasn't even the last shot of that episode. And it was still so like epic. I don't yeah. like using that word, but man, it was. Yeah. I mean, I just immediately think about, you know, Gandalf saying that the dwarves mine too greedily, greedily, right. When they're in, in, in fellowship, when they're running through uh, Moria. Right. And you know, I don't know if those, if those things are necessarily directly connected or if they're, you know, or if in, in rings of power, they're just saying, Hey, these demons are down here. If you dig all the way down, you're going to let them out. Yeah. And I think I've, I've been saying this in other conversations I've been having about the show, but like, Reading the books, I am rereading through the Lord of the Rings right now. And I've got, I've been kind of do, doing the same with some of the stories in the Silmarillion. Um, reading through this and knowing all of the, the, the backstory and the lore, as it were, is it almost feels like cheating because we would, you know, you and I and everybody in our little chat would talk about each episode after it had aired and shared our theories of, you know, who was Sauron, who is the stranger, that kind of stuff. Meteor man. And we were pulling out some deep cuts about, well, there was this, there was this one elf that uh, back in the first age stole one of the Silmarils and it actually burned his hand. And so he got pissed off and threw it into the sea and then disappeared, but he was wandering the shores of middle earth for a while. And, and like, that's, I think I concocted that that's who Adar was going to be revealed as, but like they don't have the rights to any of that stuff. So they can't come out and say it. And I'll transition now into a little bit of like in story spoiler from the last episode for an, uh, to, to kind of exemplify how they did this. Sauron, when, uh, when teaching the uh, Sauron in disguise, taught the elves their power to forge their three rings of power. And he did so under the guise of the name Anatar. Anatar in Elvish what, what had, had the meaning of Lord of Gifts. So in the show, they don't have the rights to the name Anatar. So the scene where Celebrimbor is hypothesizing about what it would take to incorporate the Mithril into a crown <laughs> And, and um, Halbrand is there talking with him because he's a smith. We, we saw that when he showed up in Numenor forging swords with the guild. Yep. Uh, he says, well, maybe you should try this. And Cal uh, 
Kelleborn is, is it Kelleborn or Kelleborn? I mix them up. Kelleborn. Kelleborn. Kelleborn says, um, like, how, you know, how can we repay you? And then Halbrand kind of smirks and goes, consider it a gift. And like that, yeah. that, that was like candy to a lore nerd who knows that. So did that spoil, not spoil it, but did, did you pick up on it a little? Did you? So, okay. Spoiler time. Halbrand yeah. is Sauron. But did you did you pick up on it then twenty minutes earlier than like when I got it when he you know they they went through the Gladriel got the scroll and figured it out for herself? Yeah, so that was my okay. This is definitely happening. My like I'm ninety five percent sure Halbrand is Sauron. Moment came at the end of the previous episode where he's wounded and Gladriel and him ride off to. Oh. Arena. Too, because I knew that, like, okay, Kelbrimbor is about to forge the rings. Okay, and I know that Sauron has to be at work somewhere in this. So, who, like, we haven't seen him yet in that context of Eregion. So, somehow, if Halbrand is Sauron, he needs to get to Eregion. And so, when Galadriel said he needs Elvish medicine, we're headed to Eregion. I was like, that's it. That's He's Sauron. And they did fake us out at the beginning of the last episode where the three uh, acolytes, I think they're called, find the stranger with the Harfoots. And they're like, yo, dude, you are Sauron. We've been looking for you. and We will show you how to use your powers. So like that was that was a, a neat little swerve. But like we I think we've been swerved a lot. Maybe not intentionally by the creators, but it's been a nice journey. Yeah, that it 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 swerved me because I thought that that uh, I thought there was a chance that he could be Sauron because when he was using magic, it was like it, it seemed to have some kind of a visible corrupting in, uh, effect on him. Yeah. Um. But yeah, no. Then it turned out to be a good old Halbrand. And the stranger himself, I think they've dropped a hint or two that that he may actually uh, turn out to be Gandalf eventually, or proto Gandalf. Proto Gandalf, yeah. Not old Tom Bombadillo. Bombadillo. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, show um, all the-, the show. The, the show is so dense. Like we're there's a lot that we're gonna leave. Not there's a lot we're going to leave off the table here, like the the Numenor arc, or um, you know the Theo, or the 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 Hilt, or Adar, or uh, the 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 orcs. You know, there's just so much happening in the show, and I I think overall they do a very good job of giving enough time to all of these subplots. I mean, I definitely have ones that I prefer over the others, but everything seems to have enough time to kind of gestate and develop. To the point where you're you're into it. My only criticism was I thought some of the pacing on Numenor was a little off. I think they spent maybe just a little bit too much time, a half episode too much, just on Galadriel and Halbrand just go, walking around and talking in Numenor, and then not enough time on them actually sailing to the um, sailing to Middle Earth. Like they went from having a lot of discussion about whether or not they were going to go. And then they were basically there then, you know, almost immediately in terms of storytelling time. Yeah. And, and I think, I don't think you're wrong there because there were some places where I would, I would 
kind of zone out a little bit and have to go back. Like, I don't know one of uh, who's the captain of the guard. Um, is still doers. Yeah. Ellen, Ellen, L Dill or Ellen Dill or something like that. Yeah. Lynn deals. Um, Ellen deal. Yeah. Ellen deal. His, his daughter. I don't know where she's coming into play here. Um, she kind of felt superfluous so far. I'm sure they'll probably use her later on, but like that was, I, I agree with you. Uh, like in that respect with her. I liked the the usage of the Palantir in Numenor. I thought that was really cool, especially again, knowing how Numenor falls and what Queen Regent Muriel's role is and how she um, how she winds up through that through that story. So knowing seeing her vision was pretty sweet. I know I geeked out hard over that, like just finally seeing what it's like. Oh, uh, was that the seeing stone that she had? Or no, no, it, th that was um, shit. Now I'm trying to remember who who found the seeing stone on Numenor. Um, I think that was one of the ones that. Well, actually, I think Muriel showed the king because the king had one. Yeah, and that's that's the king's. The king is. I mean, again, this is huge backstory. He's what's called the faithful, who are faithful to. Uh, like the gods of Middle Earth in like allying with the elves. Yeah. And since then, Numenor has kind of broken with that, as you know, as as revealed by you know the hostile reception that Galadriel got. But Muriel is kind of like a stealth faithful, and so she had been seeing these visions about Numenor's end, where the water is, you know, destroying everything. And so through the first season. Basically, her faith in in alliance with the elves is brought out, and part of that is so that the visions that she's seeing through the Palantir do not come true. Mm. But again, more lore nerd stuff that I just went nuts over. Yeah, I late. I was actually a late comer to Lord of the Rings. I didn't read The Hobbit until like five years ago. Hmm. The Lord of the Rings just shortly thereafter. I didn't do anything with it in high school, despite like playing magic all those all those times. And so reading it as an adult, I think really gave me an appreciation for the depth of it rather than just being cool story of good and evil in a journey, you know. Yeah, man. I I I'm stoked for whenever they decide to pick it up um again. It's probably gonna be a while, but um hopefully, you know, year two. Hopefully they they stick with the five seasons plan or whatever they had cooked up beforehand. Yeah, I mean there's definitely enough story to tell, you know, and I think the I think it got a good enough reception that hopefully they'll be able to 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 you know bring the whole thing home. Well, for the most expensive TV series in history, I would hope that they don't squander it. Yeah, and man, just how it looks in every episode. Yeah, you can tell that they really got their money's worth. Yeah, man. They, they spent them Bezo, Bozos bucks. Bezos bucks are yeah. flying. See, now that's a good use of the money. Like taking, a, you know, you're building a super yacht or flying to the moon or whatever, you know, this is not a good use of funds. Making a- That's dumb. Give prestige us TV. Prestige television. All Ooh. right. Um, Speaking of corporate greed here, Zoom is going to boot us off in a couple minutes. So I just want to thanks for the thank you for your time, Casey, tonight. And uh, I, I appreciate the, uh, you know, re helping me rejog 
recall memories from the from the Legends weekend and then doing a deep dive on the Rings of Power. Yeah, man. I had a lot of fun. I appreciate the invite. And then maybe down the road, we can talk about the political theory of the rebellion in and. <laughs> Oh God. Yeah. There's, <laughs> there's been so much TV going on lately. Like um, I, I just got caught up on Andor over the weekend. I was a couple eps behind and now I think the finale of that is this week. So I'm ready to go for that. I think uh, I think it's I misremembering that it's got like six episodes left. Oh shit. Oh, you know what? So I'm not even remembering that accurately. I think it's house of the dragon that's ending this week. And, there's I, two TV and, and I'm are- working on getting caught up on that. Yeah, we have an embarrassment of riches. Yeah, dude. Especially, it's a good time to be like a fan of high fantasy for television because you know all these programs that we're mentioning are great. Um, Wheel of Time was pretty good, and it's just like you know the weight. Hopefully, these things kind of get staggered rather than just being bunched together. You know, it, it has felt like you know uh, drinking from a fire hose trying to consume all this content, but got to do it, baby. The hardships of fandom. I know it's it's so rough for us. Just stay off the internet. All right, boss. Have a good night. See ya. Peace. Three rings for the